Thank you, Brian. Morning, everybody, and happy St. Patty's Day to you. We have uh, some proper Irish weather here going on right now. Uh, however, it's Irish weather for July, but uh, that's another issue. Um, you know, as you think about this day, uh, we realize that St. Patrick's Day really has become much more about Irish culture, you know, food and drink, than it is actually about St. Patrick, which is kind of a shame. Because uh, although I love my Irish heritage, I do, let's be honest, Irish food is about the worst in the world, <laughs> second only to those two that are tied for first, which is English food and starvation. <laughs> I, I, do like, I do like Irish music and Irish history a whole bunch. I'm not so much a fan of Irish whiskey, or any whiskey for that matter. Uh, Guinness is a work of art, and... <laughs> And Irish golf is probably the best on the entire planet. Uh, but I digress. Let's move on from Ireland to the patron saint of Ireland, who is St. Patrick himself. Let's start by getting uh, an understanding of the world at his time. He was born in 385 AD, not in Ireland, but actually in England. Now, the, the Roman Empire uh, seemed to be the greatest enemy of the the gospel in the early New Testament, or the New Testament church in the early days of that anyway. But by the third century, Christianity actually became the official religion of Rome. Uh, the Emperor Constantine had converted to Christianity, and the gospel spread all over the world with Rome's stamp of approval, really, for several decades. Uh, brave missionaries took the, the good news of Jesus, they, they took that great commission literally, and brought the good news of Jesus through to the ends of the earth, at least the ends of the earth, according to them back then. The end of the line for them was the Britain territory. And northern Britain and Ireland at the time was kind of the, the wild, wild west. It was a rough and tumble area, and what we can call it under-civilized. Uh, what's, what's now the, the England portion of Britain, which is the southern part, was thoroughly Romanized and pretty Christianized. You can actually walk on 2,000-year-old Roman roads uh, throughout England, and to this day there remains at the, you can find ruins of um, Roman spas, bathhouses that were built for the Roman officers that were stationed there in England. <clears throat> Bonnie and I got to actually see and walk through one of those with some friends that lived there at the time. But in a town that was up by Hadrian's Wall, up near the Scottish border, a Christian couple by the name of Calphurnius and Contessa, they had a son whom they gave the Roman name Patricius, or Patrick. And they were a, a prosperous, land-owning family. They were pretty well off. And Calphurnius was a deacon in the church, and his father, who was Patrick's grandfather, was a pastor in the growing Christian movement there in Britain. Now, to the west from there, across the Irish Sea, was Ireland, not at all yet Romanized. And warring bands of Irish pirates would come across the Irish Sea and terrorize the coastal towns of England. And on one of those raids, a 16-year-old boy was taken prisoner by those Irish pirates and taken back over to Ireland. That boy was Patrick. That was Patrick. In Ireland, he was sold as a slave, and he was put to work on a sheep and cattle farm. Um, Patrick's master was a guy named Milku. He was a high priest in Druidism, 
which was a pagan sect and also the most dominant religious force in Ireland at the time. And although um, Patrick had kind of a godly heritage, he really had shown no interest in anything really about God while he was growing up. But having your world rocked like this tends to make a guy a bit more open. So he began to seek God there as a slave in Ireland and actually developed a, a, a strong relationship with God. And he began to view his enslavement as God's test of his faith. Here are his words from his autobiography. He said, after I'd come to Ireland, I used to feed cattle daily and I prayed frequently every day. My love of God increased more and more. I even used to stay in the woods and mountains. Before daylight, I would rise in prayer. Through snow, through frost, through rain, I felt no harm, nor was there any laziness in me. I now understand, looking back on it, I now understand it was the Spirit of God fervent in me, he said. And Patrick wrote of one particular night where in his sleep he heard this voice saying to him, You shall soon go to another country. And then not long after that, uh, that promise was repeated in another dream. And this, this one came with a little more specific instructions for him. It said, Behold, your ship is ready. And Patrick kind of realized what that meant. He was to escape from his slavery. And if that wasn't intimidating enough, the dream made it clear to him that his ship that was ready was 200 miles away in a place he'd never been amongst people he'd never met and knew no one in that area. So it seemed like he needed to figure out a way to escape, and then 200 miles. He realized his problem at that point is not gas money or the bus schedule. And slaves don't have horses. So he has to huff it 200 miles while staying out of sight. He's an escaped slave. So he wrote this in his autobiography. After this, I took flight and left the master with whom I had been six years. I came in the strength of the Lord who directed my way for good, and I feared nothing at all. And on that same day that I arrived, the ship left. So they got there, ship leaves that day. Well, that ship went to France, uh, where Patrick studied under a teacher by the name of St. Germain. And during his time there, he studied and prepared to be a missionary church planter. Listen, preparation and education is wonderful. Get it if you can. But personally, I think the greatest preparation for Patrick was not the study time in France, but rather the time and all the years that he spent walking with God while being a slave in the very country that he was going to go back and go try to reach. He under, began to understand the, the ethos of the Irish people. He had learned to walk with God, to be led by God, to listen to the voice of God. There's really not a whole lot more that a missionary needs than those kind of qualities. Well, in time, he is reunited with his family in England, and it was there that he had another prophetic dream. And this is the one that clarified his call to Ireland, and this is how Patrick described it. He said, there I saw in the middle of the night a man coming, as it were, from Ireland. He held countless letters. He gave one of them to me. I read the beginning of the letter containing the voice of the Irish. After, after and while reading it aloud, I heard the voice of those who were near the woods by the western sea. They cried out as one, We beg you, Holy One, to come and walk among us. I was deeply moved in my heart and could read no further, and I awoke. Well, Patrick never lost sight of that vision. He was determined to bring the good news of Jesus to Ireland. And he was very well aware from personal experience that this mission field that he was going towards 
was predominantly pagan. Remember, he was a slave of a pagan priest. Well, upon his arrival in Ireland, he was initially met with hostile resistance. But he quickly, in time, began to get through to several people. And through preaching and writing and baptizing tons of new converts, the pagan druids were coming to faith in Jesus by the hundreds and then by the thousands. It was incredible. One of his first converts was his former slave master, the druid slave master. Now, something that was significant and weirdly supernatural happened in, in some of the early days of Patrick's outreach to Ireland. He had concentrated his early work up in the northeast section of Ireland, and his very first church is in uh, what is now known as Down Patrick. He would walk and pray in what's called the Mountains of Morn. Uh, Bonnie and I actually got to climb those mountains, and we could just imagine what took place as he met with God up in those hills. Well, Patrick preached to the local leaders in that area, and then he put together what he called uh, an Easter prayer bonfire, uh, which had become sort of a tradition in that area at Easter. So he puts this big bonfire together, and it happened to be at the very, very same time as the big pagan uh, religious ritual uh, celebration there. And this public bonfire that he had called together was seen as in direct defiance with the local leaders and the local uh, religious way of life. Listen, to, um, these, these leaders, the Druid leaders, were extremely threatened by Patrick and by his ministry. And they all gathered together to figure out how they could put a stop to all this. So um, one of the priests declared something that turned out to be prophetic. Listen to the words of this Druid priest. He said, this fire, which has been lighted in defiance of the royal edict, will blaze forever in this land unless it be extinguished this very night. And though attempts were made to stop Patrick, stop the bonfire, stop the ministry, the, the local leaders could not overcome the prayer gathering uh, nor the bonfire. And that declaration did turn out to be prophetic because the, the spiritual fire that was begun by God working through Patrick continued to grow, continued to spread throughout Ireland Patrick spent the rest of his life tirelessly spreading the gospel throughout Ireland. In the final analysis, Patrick planted over 300 churches in Ireland. And listen to this. He baptized over 120,000 converts to Christianity in his lifetime. 120,000. He died on March 17th, this very day, in the year 461. St. Patrick's Day commemorates the day of his death, not the day of his birth. And he was buried um, near Strangford Lock in Downpatrick, which is now up in Northern Ireland. Incredible life. Incredible man and incredible life. Well, I, I, before we uh, learn some, uh, a few things to take away from the life of Patrick that we can apply to our life, I want to look at a few legends, a few myths that, we, that, are, that are attributed to him, that are not true, that are not true. So we'll start there. Here's the, the very first myth. First one is, St. Patrick drove all the snakes out of Ireland. <laughs> nice thought. Patrick could not have driven the snakes out of Ireland. There were never snakes there to begin with. There were no fossils of snakes of any kind. Somebody said, uh, he might have driven them out if he drove the fossils out as well. <laughs> well, that legend came about probably because, in essence, Patrick drove the the pagan religious ritual way of life 
act away, along with all the wicked ways that went along with it. Human sacrifice, slavery, other destructive practices. They were seen as the way of the serpent, and they were no longer. All right, here's the next myth. St. Patrick was the first Christian in Ireland. That's a myth as well. St. Patrick wasn't even the first evangelist in Ireland. There was a guy by the name of Palladius that was there five years in the year 431, about five years before Patrick went. Palladius just was not very fruitful, at least on the outside. And he was, as an evangelist and leader, extremely different from Patrick in that he was just commissioned to go there by the Pope, and he was kind of pushing the party line of religious obligation, that sort of way of life. I'll get into a little bit more of that in a minute. Here's the last line. Uh, lots of people have heard that St. Patrick uh, evangelized by using the shamrock, the three-leaf clover, to teach about the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's a nice story. It's not true. Um, there are some writings that came about centuries later after the life of Patrick that kind of embellished and uh, made everything more legend-like and puffed up lots of these kinds of stories, made him sort of uh, out to be a superhero. He's not a superhero. He was a man. An ordinary man, a great man of God, but just a man. So I just want to look before we go at four quick things that we can learn from Patrick's life, and not just learn about him, but also apply to our own life, that we might um, walk with God in, in the way that God has called us to walk with him. All right, here's the very first thing we learn from him. Prayer helps clarify God's destiny for your life. Prayer helps clarify God's destiny. Is that on the screen? Read, read, read that with me, would you? Prayer helps clarify God's destiny for your life. See, while Patrick seemed to be a tireless worker, uh, the truth is that much of his time was spent in prayer. The major events of his life were preceded by dreams or visions from God, and that is what drove him. It wasn't ambition. It was words from God. And his love for time with God reflected a really, really deep longing for nearness with God at all times. That's what he was all about. Now, on the, on the west coast of Ireland, between Sligo and Galway, and in an area where uh, several of us went to do ministry about 15 years ago, there's a mountain range there, and at the, very, at the head of it, there's a solitary peak known as St. Patrick's Mountain. This was his place of retreat. And he once spent an extended period of time in fasting and prayer up there with only a small recess in the rocks as his protection and his shelter from the weather. And in Irish weather, that is something that, you know, you need help from God to endure. Now, Patrick's purpose in that time up there was to ask for mercy for the Irish people whom he desperately wanted to reach with the good news of Jesus. So the first thing is prayer helps clarify God's destiny for your life. Here's the second thing. When Christianity is missing joy, that's a caution sign. When Christianity is missing joy, that is a caution sign. The early Irish Christianity that was planted by Patrick was much more joyful and celebration-oriented than its Roman predecessor. The Roman church tended to be, be much more somber and focused on a theology of sin, identifying sin, avoiding sin, very focused on sin. Patrick introduced coming into joyful reception of the good news of Jesus, loving God and loving God's creation. 
And there were strains of Christianity at that time that kind of saw everything fleshly as sinful. And last week I used a really good quote from St. Augustine that we had up on our Facebook page. Um, and St. Augustine, uh, if you know this, walked the earth at the very same time as Patrick did, but just like a thousand miles away. Augustine was incredibly brilliant, and his teaching helped steer Christianity in, in truth and in good ways uh, in the early days of Christianity amidst much opposition. Uh, he was brilliant, but not without flaw. One of, one of his downfalls was that he overemphasized sin and punishment, probably because God saved him out of a wild, sinful lifestyle with women. And once that got clarified in him, he wanted to avoid that like the plague. So Augustine tended to treat women as the personification of fleshly temptation. Uh, and that's just kind of the way that he was. For him, it was a weak spot, but it certainly wasn't the fault of women. That was just his own personal hang-up. St. Patrick was very, very different from that train of thought and from Augustine. Uh, because even though it was groundbreaking in that day, especially in the church, Patrick's joy-filled writings um, would consistently speak well of women and would treat, would reflect women as honored individuals. He was the first significant male Christian after Jesus to consistently speak well of women. And listen to uh, some of his words uh, about this. Keep in mind, this is 1,600 years ago. He writes this about the Irish women. He says, it is the women kept in slavery who suffer the most and who keep their spirits up despite the terrorizing they must endure. The Lord gives grace to them. And though they are forbidden to do so, they follow Jesus with backbone. Love backbone. He recognized the strength of these women, and he wasn't intimidated by that at all. Instead, he commended them, spoke out on their behalf. All right, here's the next thing. Third thing is, is a big one. Following Jesus is first. Issues are secondary. Say that with me. Following Jesus is first. Issues are secondary. Here's what I mean by this. I've known some people for whom their Christian walk was defined by a particular issue, whether it was a theological issue or a political issue or a social issue. They let that become the highest on the list, and it skewed their walk in an unhealthy way. It's okay to be passionate about an issue, but issues are secondary. Following Jesus is first. Because when the vote doesn't go your way, when the ministry focus is not on your pet area, people can get all bent out of shape about it. They'll, there are people who quit churches or start bad-mouthing people who disagree with them. I know people who quit walking with God because they got so sideways over a particular issue. Friends, don't ever forget this. Following Jesus is first. All other issues, secondary. St. Patrick is a great example of this. Patrick never set out to abolish slavery in Ireland. He just encountered God personally. He started following Jesus personally and set out to obey God's call for his life. It just so happened that his experience as being a slave for six years left him with a burden for those who were enslaved. Although he was called to preach the gospel of Jesus, his opportunities as a speaker gave him an opportunity to speak out against slavery. He was the first significant figure in church history to publicly stand against slavery. And God used him in that way. 
A lot of people don't know this, but slavery in Ireland virtually stopped after Patrick. Slave trading, there was, there was no more. I mean, it's a pretty incredible thing that happened. But first and foremost, Patrick was a follower of Jesus. That was number one. All right, here's the last thing. Number four is expect the ripple effect of God. Say that with me. Expect the ripple effect of God. Here's what I mean by that. We can tend to be real self-centered in how we view stuff. We think, what's in it for me? Um, some of that is natural, and it's really only bad if it keeps you from loving others. But we often forget what God can do through simple faith and simple obedience. God's ripple effect can make the impact of, of obedience beyond comprehension. There's a book that came out a while back that I remember Todd gave to me called How the Irish Saved Civilization. It's a, it's a great book. And in that book, scholars say that Patrick's conversion of Ireland began the preservation of knowledge and art and kept it alive through the Dark Ages. Because at this time in the world, over in, in Europe, the lights went out about 50 years after the life of Patrick. Europe was a complete mess of disease and war and upheaval from about 500 AD to about 900 AD. But the monasteries that were founded by Patrick and his successors kept music and art and education alive when it was alive nowhere else in the world. So Irish monks and nuns and godly disciples served as the, as the bridge between early Christianity and the Middle Ages. They continued to send out missionaries during those dark times and kept on making copies of scripture by hand all through that time. Some of those handmade works of art, like the Book of Kells is one of them, they're on display in Trinity College in Dublin today. Uh, I was just there in Trinity a couple years ago and see the Book of Kells, and these ancient scriptures are, are moved around the world to be displayed in museums. And the, the detail and the artwork in them is, I'm telling you, it's breathtaking. It's unbelievable. Patrick may have never dreamed of such a ripple effect. What well, maybe he did? I don't know. Beyond that, beyond that, Irish monks from the Dark Ages were incredible explorers and missionaries. And although Christopher Columbus is credited with discovering America, there is undisputed evidence of a Viking settlement in Canada that dates to almost 500 years before Columbus got here. And listen to this. Viking history states as commonly understood fact that an Irish monk named St. Brendan be then here by almost 400 years. There's no undisputed physical evidence to prove it, but archaeologists are still trying to figure out how they have inscriptions in rock in Virginia that are written in Ogam script. Ogam script is the ancient Irish alphabet from the time of St. Brendan, which is 600 AD, and it was never used after 800 AD. But it's in Virginia. So there's that. That's the ripple effect of God through simple obedience through St. Patrick. You know, almost everybody knows that St. Patrick is the patron saint of Ireland. Not that many people know. He's also the patron saint of Nigeria. Why is that? 
because Nigeria was evangelized first by Irish missionaries. Again, the ripple effect of God through St. Patrick. So, let's let St. Patrick's incredible life help us take these four big things with us today. Just a reminder that prayer helps clarify God's destiny for our life. When Christianity is missing joy, that's a caution sign. Remember that following Jesus is first, issues are secondary. And then expect the ripple effect of God, because God multiplies your obedience in supernatural ways. I want you to bow your hands a little bit. Uh, Lord, we're grateful that there are times that you send exemplary figures that we might learn from, be inspired by. And Lord, we're grateful for the life of St. Patrick and what he represents. Um, just an ordinary man who just chose to believe and obey. Same things you call us to do, believe and obey. So Lord, I pray that you would give us the gumption to believe and obey in the days ahead. And whatever the, the call for, it's not going to be like Patrick's call. But whatever the call is for our lives, Lord, would, would you give us the gumption to believe and obey? That's all we ask. We know you can do this, Lord. And now we believe that you will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, let's stand. Great seeing you here on this beautiful St. Patty's Day. We've still got some more green donuts back there and coffee. So, uh, Grab some of that. If you are uh, in need of prayer, if you're today in need of prayer, uh, we'll have a, a few of our friends in the back corner of the room over here. If you want to talk to them, play with them, they're available to you. Okay? We leave you with this. Go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, the God who came still comes, and the God who spoke still speaks. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.